Good afternoon, everybody. Jordan Goodfellow here, gig ready. Joe Mack here, ready to go. We hope everybody is doing really well today and that they are uh, continuing to be the professionals that we know that they are. We've got a great show planned for today. We have Tom Stimson, president of the Stimson Group. Uh, they specialize in uh, consulting to help companies become better at what they do. Tom, thanks for being here today. Really, really glad to have you on today. Happy to join you. Thanks for asking. Awesome. Um, Joe, thanks for being here. I know you're a little sniffly today, but I want to make sure that everybody knows that you're here and alive and well and, and uh, kicking over there in Portland, Oregon. How are you feeling today? I'm doing okay. Pollen is the pollen is blooming in Portland, so we are sneezing our butts off here. Outstanding. Well, Tom, being a, I get all, all three of us having been or are and continue to be business owners, um, the the subject that I've been thinking about the last couple of weeks has been businesses that are built to outlast the owners and. Our industry, uh, especially in the audiovisual world, whether it be labor companies, rental companies, uh, production companies, I don't know if I've ever seen a company beyond one or two really big companies that just become too big to be bigger than the owner outlast the owner. The owner stops doing their stuff and boom, everything falls apart. Okay, you know, everybody goes their separate ways and the gear gets liquidated and everybody moves on. Um, However, I, th I think that those owners, as well as myself and, and others, have wanted to grow a business that actually could outlast them, a legacy, if you will. Um, and so I, I guess the first question that I wonder, is it even possible to build a company like that that can outlast the owner beyond their lifespan or at least before they until they decide to retire? Well, I mean, of course, of course they can do that. Most most business owners don't get started with that in mind. Um, the, probably the first thing they're trying to do is put groceries on the table. And, you know, uh, yeah. a lot of us in our industry, we were either gig workers who got lucky and didn't have to gig and started running a business, or we are disgruntled former employees of somebody else's business. Yeah. Right. And that's, you know, and we know we're, we're not really business people. And we're certainly not entrepreneurs. I, the number of entrepreneurs I meet in this industry is pretty small. Huh. Um, a lot of people think they're entrepreneurs, but in fact, what they are is opportunistic folks. <laughs> okay. um, so an entrepreneur starts a business with the end result, you know, the exit strategy in mind. They know what they're trying to do and they're finding the shortest path there. Nobody comes to our industry to find a short path to wealth and success. <laughs> Right. Okay. They, they know that they're going to push sand up a hill for the next 20 or 30 or 40 years. And then hopefully there's a, some, uh, a rainbow at the end and, and somebody will take care of them. And that's really the, that's the most the average business owner thinks about is that one day I will, I will sell and that will fund my retirement. But right now I'm too busy taking care of business. Huh. Wow. All right. I never thought, I mean, that's the first time I've ever heard anybody say that, you know, they didn't really see our industry as being a group of entrepreneurs. I guess maybe my impression of entrepreneurship has always been different. Um, and I love that explanation that they have an end result in mind. Um, I can honestly say I got into this business without an end result in mind either. Um, so expand on that whole entrepreneurial thing, like the, the entrepreneurs that you have met in our industry, what 
like what do they embody? What do they do that sets them apart from the opportunistic business owner um, that sees the the where we are? You know, uh, occasionally an entrepreneur has found themselves in this industry for all the reasons that I just talked about. They they found something that worked or they saw a demand for something. I mean, back in my era, the 80s and early 90s, you know, a lot of video equipment in particular was very expensive. And yeah. you could go out and buy a couple of video projectors and suddenly you were in business and the returns were fantastic. So that attracted some folks who saw the opportunity you know, rental's yeah. a great business model, right? You buy something, you hand it to somebody else, they give you money, and then they give the thing back to you. I mean, how cool is that? That's, um, that's And awesome. you get to do it over and over and over again, <laughs> right? And so there are some people who have an entrepreneurial mindset who found themselves in this industry because they like the rental aspect of it. And some of them stuck with it have become very, very successful um, they run large three-letter companies, you know, three-letter named companies, and, and and they do that well. So what did they have in mind? They just knew how to make money. Yeah. They looked at the business as a way to make money, and they learned how to keep score, and they played harder to get higher and higher scores. Got it. Uh, so a lot of us are just in this business because we kind of love it <laughs> for whatever crazy reason. <laughs> Yes, we enjoy really, really, really long days, lack of sleep, um, yeah. hard problems to solve, which I guess is one good thing. Um, I do it for I do it for the catering. That's all I'm in for. Catering, I yeah. just, just the free meals. Yeah, I don't. And if you've never if you've never taken a a nap wrapped in a loading blanket in a in a box, <laughs> you just haven't napped. True. <laughs> Guys, take the sound console lid and lay it down, and then it 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 makes a perfect bed in the back of the yep. semi. The amps put off a lot of heat. It's a really nice place to take a nap. Nice and warm. Yep. <laughs> All right. So if you wanna if you wanna make tons of money, don't get into the AV business. Uh, and if you enjoy comfort, don't get into the AV business. Um, so a business owner comes into this industry and says, "Wow, I, I see great opportunity." Um, you know, in, in, in Joe's case, I mean, his client came to him and said, Hey, we want to use you for everything. And boop, all of a sudden there's a business. Like it just, it happens. Um, so what is the first thing then as a business owner that we should be thinking about when we are looking at becoming an owner in the AV industry, being that it, it is a different beast than most other industries? I mean, I'm going to. Being a consultant, I'm going to take your question and I'm going to turn it around. Perfect. And 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 ask the question I want to answer. Yep. Which is, what do you? What is a? What happens when a business owner wakes up and they realize that they don't know how to develop an exit strategy? They don't know how to make money because nobody looks at our industry saying, "I'm going to get into this business." And oh, by the way, I'm going in with an exit strategy. They wake up one day, and it's usually and most of my consulting engagements start this way. They call me because somebody called them and, and asked about buying their business. Did you want to sell? Okay. They, you know, they got, they got, you know, somebody was fishing, right? Um, they have somebody offer to sell their company to them. Hmm. Or they finally meet with their financial planner. Um, and the financial planner says, well, you own a business. How are you going to get the money out of it? 
And they don't have an answer to any of those questions. And then they start going, well, where do I get the answer? And they have to start thinking about that. So first step is actually knowing that you are recognizing that you do need some sort of plan and that the idea, and maybe it's your children telling you, what are you going to do with the business? Because I don't want to work in it. Uh, maybe it's a partner telling you, I want out of the business. You need to buy it from me. You know, where all of a sudden you start thinking about what happens next or what is supposed to happen. Yeah. Okay. So at least acknowledge the fact that you need to have a plan. Um, so then where where do we go next? So, okay, I need a plan. What's the next stage in that? Let, let's say we have a business that's already running. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so now does this upend the apple cart and we just basically say, screw this and, 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 and just change everything. Or, I mean, where does that, where does it even go? I know that's a long trail. Right. Yeah. You know, the, actually what happens next is the business owner calls me and asks what their company is worth. Okay. Cause that's always the first question. What is my company worth? Because they want to benchmark it and they want to know, Oh wow, it's worth. And, and there's two responses. It's worth way more than I thought it was. Who will buy it? Give me a phone number right now. Versus, <laughs> you must be kidding. I'm worth way more than that. I'm not selling them for a penny less than some astronomical number that they made up in a bar one night. Um, so they're usually on either end of that spectrum. Um, but once they come to the realization that what your company is worth is the right question, now, what are you going to do with the information now that you have it? Yeah. Um, I, had a, I had a client who um, fell into the category of really undervaluing his business. Huh. He, was, he was ready to get out. He w wasn't particularly old. Um, he just made a lot of money and wanted to do things with his family instead of work. And he was really undervaluing his business. And um, he was shocked when we showed him. And I'm not in the business of valuation. I just do napkin yeah. estimates to help people understand how valuations are started. And, you know, we spent a couple more years with him and he sold his business for a whole ton of money. That's, you know, that's a great story, but mostly we deal with folks who really think their business is worth, you know, they hear, hear about multipliers two times, three times, four times. Yeah. And somewhere in their head, they decided that was revenue two times revenue, three times revenue. When in fact it is two times Goodness. profit, three times profit. Um, and so they have in their mind that their $2 million business is worth $6 million. When it's really worth like five because they have a big old goose egg at the bottom of the... Yeah, because it, it's, it's worth $500,000 because their assets are new. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Um, so we established what the business is worth. Um, so those, and those are all great things. Of course, those, those things vary. Um what makes people come to like a consultant such as yourself to establish business value versus I know that there are other metrics within the corporate structure that you can, you know, try and find that. They, they come to, they come to somebody who might have answers. That's the thing. Yeah. Most of us aren't business people. We didn't, we didn't go get a business degree and start an AV company or a lighting company or whatever it might be, or a production company. Um, we just found ourselves in that business. Okay. Um, and we're kind of like most of our technical careers, we learn as we go. It's on the job training for the yep. first 20 years. 
and then by that time you've picked up so many bad habits, you can't unlearn them. Mm. No matter how many how many younger people tell you we don't do it that way anymore. Yeah. Right. And so you you have to figure out, well, how can I relearn this stuff and how can I know what I'm doing right and know what I'm wasting my time doing? Um, and okay. it's there's no it's funny. In, in my generation, you know, there's a lot of people my age who are afraid to call anybody and ask them for help with their business because I think that's there is an unwritten rule that if you get help, you didn't do it on your own. Yeah. And it's it's kind of insane. But, you know, we've all been frustrated by you know, a technician, you know, Joe, that didn't pick up the phone and call for help because they didn't know what they were doing and the show failed when all they had to do was ask somebody. Right. And then they let their ego get in the way. They let their pride get in the way. And business owners are the same way. Yeah. Um, so eventually they'll find somebody that they can talk to, a banker or their accountant or, you know, a, a family I friend or some industry nut like me. I, I, for one, when, uh, you know, the opportunity for me to start a business and to, to grow it uh, came onto the table. I mean, I, I went to every business owner I knew and I asked as many questions. And, you know, the first thing they said is, OK, well, make sure you have a good lawyer, a good accountant and good insurance. Yeah. And I made those phone calls within the first week and, and I put together my team that's, you know, that was backing me and was able to call it, you know, anytime I had some silly new thing that I'd never dealt with before. Um, uh, is there, is there a, a business structure that's better than another when you're, when you're basing those decisions? Like when you're, if, if I'm just starting out, you know, how, how do I want to structure my business? How do I want to set it up for success so that I'm not, you know, chasing my tail from, from day one? Yeah. The, there, there is, it is a fantastic question because there is a right way to set up any kind of business. And in fact, there's probably four or five right ways. Um, I spend a lot of my time pay, helping business owners find the right way for them and for their business and their company. But most people start on the wrong end of the equation. They start about how do I want to, how do I want to set up my business to be successful rather than figuring out what businesses their their market their market needs hmm. and then designing their business for their marketplace. Right. So it's they, you know, they take that if you build it, they will come and build the business that they want to build the way they think it should work, only to find out that customers don't want to buy that way. Or employees don't want to work that way or bankers don't like that balance sheet. Right. And so you know, not having that perspective makes it difficult for them sometimes to make the choices that they need to make. You did it right. You you got some good advisors. Um, and and yeah, get an attorney, get a CPA, you know, get a banker, but please don't let them run your company. No. You know, get, get help from them on how to set things up and how to do things. And yes, it's okay you do that. And absolutely, you should use a payroll company blah, blah, blah. Yes. Pay your quarterly taxes. Um, but don't go to them for business advice about how do I deal with this customer? How do I deal with these employees? Right. Because that's not what they're good at. Um, well, yeah. And you're, you know, as the business owner, that's, that's your secret sauce, right? Is how you handle the customer versus the other guy. And, and I think we all take pride in the way we handle our customers, uh, on an individual basis. So, so you're absolutely right with, with, not letting letting your your team run your business. So 
going back to your question, you know, about what's the best way to set up the business, one of the questions I ask or try to ascertain is what is the secret sauce for that company? And a lot of companies don't know what it is. They don't know what their own secret sauce is. They, they have a superpower and they don't see it because they're too close to it. And therefore, they're not leveraging it. So ultimately, the goal is we want to run an optimized model for the business that you're in, where you're going to be most successful, where you have a steady stream of willing clients out there who will pay you money. And if we can find those things and get those things in sync, um, then you can run a very successful business. But there's no one right way to do it. Uh, but there are lots of well-documented wrong ways to do it. <laughs> okay. Um, so if we have a couple of different right ways to, to kind of form this piece, where, um, I'm trying to think of how, like from a business structure standpoint, does it matter if I pick corporation S corp LLC, uh, you know, one of those formats in comparison to any other one? Right. Well, there's, the corporate structure is a, is a legal question and a finance question. Okay. Right. So that's where having the attorney to advise you and having a financial planner or CPA to advise you will help you make the right choice. Got it. Um, I've worked with owners over the year. It was very fashionable in the 1990s if you started your company to make it a C corporation and therefore there would be shares and the corporation would pay taxes and then the employees would pay taxes. Um, but then it became very popular towards the end of the 90s to do S corporations, right? And now we have a lot of privately held companies that are LLCs, which is another legal entity. They're all right and they're all wrong, depending on the situation. Got it. Right. Okay. But understanding why you would choose one or the other, and all of it has to do with where is liability begin and end? Where do taxes begin and end? Uh, particularly in the US, it's most business structure is based on tax, tax law. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, that is, uh, gosh, there's so much there. I'm like, <laughs> let's, let's just, uh, here's how I explain it to my yeah. clients. If you're a primarily a service-based business, most legal advisors are going to push you to an LLC model. Okay. If you're an asset-based business as a rental inventory, they're going to push you to a, an S corporation. Okay. If you're going to be a huge multinational enterprise with lots of different lines of business and you want to be able to easily sell the company because you're an entrepreneur and you were thinking extra strategy from the beginning, they might push you into a C corporation. Got it. So C corporation is probably the least likely thing that most people need in our industry. For sure. Um, how do I change my mindset if I walked into this? This is a selfish question, by the way, because <laughs> I'm looking at, you know, things <laughs> yeah. going down the road. I mean, how I, I got into this because for me, one, it's fun. You know, I was doing it for 15 years. It was I loved it, but I wanted more. I was in a position where I wasn't growing. I wasn't move, I wasn't doing anything beyond kind of going out on tour and, and, and doing a technical, you know, position. And then I happened to make a trade with a company that owed me a bunch of money and I got two projectors in that trade. And it was either uh, sell them immediately and recoup my money or take them out for a test drive and see what we could do with them. 
Um, my wife was very adamant about just selling them, cutting it loose, getting the <laughs> cash out of it and being done with it. Smart um, woman. And then, yeah. <laughs> and I was more of in the mind of, well, I like this. Let's see what we can do with it. And so that's, that's what we did. And, and things actually started to grow. And, and over time we realized, you know, th this is working. Well, now I had no end in mind other than to get my money back. I mean, that was the end. That was my, you know, the end in mind was, okay, use this to get the 30 grand that some, that these people owed me and now I'm good. And then it just started to grow from there. So where I guess do I go to say, okay, find what that end is first off, because you have to figure out what you want it to be and yeah. then work backwards to, you know, to basically plan back to where we are right now. Um, even though we are in quite an odd situation in the way that the world is working right now as it is. So was there a question in there? Yes. All right. <laughs> how do I discover my end in mind? Like, how do I find yeah. the end in mind? This, this is, this is the, the, the simplest answer I can give you. Um, and nobody does it is write a business plan. Okay. If you didn't write a business, if you write a business plan, you have to ask that question to write the business plan. It's the, it's on the first page. Yeah. Just Google business plan and every business plan generic download you get will start on what's your end result? What's your exit strategy? What are you going to, and it takes you from there. Why do you want to be in business? Well, I just thought that you know, owning equipment and getting money for it was really cool. They don't have a box for that. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Um, most business my, plans don't even work on a rental model. <laughs> my lawyer, my lawyer on day one, he said, first thing, plan for your divorce. And yeah. I said, from my wife? And he goes, no, from your company. Yeah. That's that's the first thing you do. And I, I like, that's pretty morbid. And he goes, yeah, but that's what's going to end up. So you have to have that exit strategy to start. So interesting. Yeah. And he, and particularly if you have partners. You know, any good advisor of two people or three people are going into business together. The first thing you discuss is how you're going to end it. Huh. Right. And if you can't come to terms with how to end the business equitably, you have you shouldn't be in business together. And every every business owner I talked to, all told me, don't have partners. Yeah. And yeah. and yeah, that's I, that's wise wise. Uh, advice. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's what I've, I actually have done the same thing. I didn't bring on partners either. I didn't want partners, but I think that unfortunately in my case, not bringing on partners also hamstring me directly into the comment you made earlier, Tom, which was afraid to ask for help. Because if I don't, if I ask for help, then I'm not doing it by myself and somehow equating not having yeah. partners to doing it on my own. And then if I ask for help somehow now I'm, uh, I, I just, I'm not doing it. You know, mm -hmm. now I'm doing it with someone else, if that makes any sense. Right. Oh, no, I, I, I hear it all the time. I, I, I know what you're saying. Okay. Um, you know, some business owners, I mean, they join, you know, CEO groups, you know, Vistage, Alternative Board, EOS, something like that. So they can spend time with other business owners and talk business ownery stuff. <laughs> Right. Um, and they listen to guest speakers and people pushing books and whatnot. And, and so they spend a little time every month or every quarter working on their business. And that's just not enough. 
that's not enough time to work. You got to work on your business every single day. Yeah. And not just, you know, join a group that reminds you that you should work on your business. Um, it's got to be part of who you are. It's like Joe said earlier, you have to figure out what the mindset is to be successful. Got it. And knowing that your business is this living, breathing entity and you've got to put some life into it constantly and you're constantly trying to improve it because if you don't, businesses have gravity, right? They, they are going to slow down. If you don't put energy into them, they're going to slow down. Pretty soon they're going to wrap their tentacles around you and they're going to pull you down with them. Yeah. Um, and then it's really hard to get them pulled back up again. Okay. So start at the base, create a business plan. I actually just pulled up my original business plan from 10 years ago, which I haven't touched in 10 years. It probably sounds like it's time to go backwards and uh, revisit that. But even just glancing through it, I realized that like the goals and like the objective of the business, I didn't like I was very ethereal. I was very like kind of out there, out there, provide good customer service to people so that they like us and call us again as an objective of the business versus actually establishing a clear end in mind goal. Am I is that what a lot of people do? A lot of people do answer those questions that way because they don't realize the question is actually asking you for your selfish reason for doing this. Okay. If a business owner is not selfish, if some part of them is not selfish, they're going to make horrible business decisions. Got it. So what's the reason you're doing this? Because I like to eat. Okay. I want to eat every day, sometimes two or three times a day, and I don't want to... Re- you know, rely on craft service or stealing food from the hotel hallway. Yeah. Um, I want to buy my own groceries. Okay. That's a, that's a good selfish reason to be in business. Okay. Okay. Um, Another selfish reason to be in business is I'm a lousy employee. I don't, I don't want to have a boss. I want to be my own boss. Yeah. Okay. I want to make my own mistakes. Now this is, these are good. So figure out what your selfish reason for doing this is. And then the other, the flip side of that is what is your altruistic reason for doing this? Okay. I want to put my th- kids through college. I want to support a charity. I want to retire and give a bunch of money away because I was so successful. And if you can balance your selfish reason and your altruistic reason and keep those things in mind, there's a real good chance that you're going to run a good business because those two reasons are very powerful. Huh? Rather than I just answered the phone and we did some stuff and then the phone rang again and we did some more. Yeah. Interesting. And make, <clears throat> I would suggest also on the altruistic uh, side of things to have a clear definition of, of what you're giving to your, your team and your employees um, so that that can't be uh, taken advantage of later on down the road. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I can say that based on the way that you described that, Tom, which is outstanding, I realize that I have definitely put much more focus on the altruistic reasons of doing this versus the selfish reasons. Um, So if I want to then now kind of make some changes to begin that path, I get, okay, figure out the business plan, end in mind, I want to sell my business someday for $10 billion dollars just some crazy stupid number that no AV company will ever sell for, at least not in the next 150 to 200 years. Um, Where, what, where's the next thing? So is it business structure, business plan, 
both of those work in conjunction with each other. Where, where do I go next when I'm saying, okay, now I'm looking forward. I have that goal. Where, where am I looking to, to create that structure? So this is one of those things where I'm going to kind of reframe the question, yeah, yeah. which is when the owner says, okay, Tom, I, I need to sell my business or I want to sell my business. How do I get it ready? Yep. How, what should that, I've never paid attention to business, but now I want to make it sellable and I know it's not sellable. And what do you do to get a business ready to sell? And I, my answer is always the same, the exact same things that you would do if you were trying to run a better business. So the most sellable business is the business that is the best run. Okay. So we want to run the business well. What makes it, what is a well-run business? You're getting a good return on investment for the amount of risk involved. Now, the problem in our industry, <laughs> as anybody that's done shows before, is we're in an extremely risky business. Yep. Um, not only is our work environment risky and potentially dangerous, um, we are very seasonal and we suffer a lot of ups and downs. And as, as the pandemic has shown us, um, we can we can skid along the bottom for a really long time. Yeah. Though it's a high risk business in terms of, of financial investment. So if you're looking at it as an investment, it's very risky. Therefore, your returns have got to be very high to offset the risk. Yeah. And your your assets too, you know, uh, we live in a technology age that's just constantly changing and outdating itself. So, you know, you you buy that video wall. Uh, this year, and by the time you've paid it off, it's been outdated for five years. You know, it's it's yeah. yeah. So, well, what's going to happen as we get out of this pandemic is the same thing that happened to a lot of folks in the after the two thousand one two thousand two recession, and then the big recession, which was all of a sudden their assets were three more years out of date. Yeah, okay. yeah, and that hurt their ability to be innovative. Now. The good news is everybody else's assets were three years out of date. Manufacturers hadn't designed or manufactured anything new for three years. So you did have about an 18 to 24 month window to get caught up in. But if you were overcapitalized to begin with and you were paying down a nut or you at least been paying depreciation on all that equipment and you didn't have any other way to make money than off the equipment, then you're in really big trouble. Yeah. So if you're completely dependent on the rental assets to make you money, then you're suffering the ups and downs of the rental industry, the risks that go with it, and the chance that the technology um, will all of a sudden be obsolete. We we went we were a video the company I worked for in the '90s. We were very heavy into video. We were buying whatever the latest greatest video projector is. We bought as many of them as we can get our hands on. And there was a period there when Barca was uh, um, coming out with projectors every six months. And I bought lines of video projectors. I bought an entire series of video projectors, which included all new lamps, all new lenses, all new cases. And that projector was obsolete in six months. Wow. I couldn't, I couldn't give the damn terrible. thing away in six months. Um, because they had jumped, they had jumped their own inventory two times. So that's the kind of risks that you, that you run, but sometimes you get lucky and you invest in sure SM 58s and the same damn design has been around for 57 years. <laughs> 58. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those audio guys, darn it. They got all, they have all the luck. Um, 
So with, <clears throat> man, so a company, we want to sell. We run a good business. We're, 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 what are, what are a couple of things we should focus on then as, uh, as a business owner to run a better business? The, the first thing I would say is understand how it is that you actually make money. And, you know, I do a lot of financial analysis. I look, I look at a ton of P&Ls and many business owners don't make money the way they think they make money. Hmm. For instance, <clears throat> um, they are a production company. So they've got rental inventory. They've got technicians on staff. They hire freelancers and over hires when they need to. And they go out and they sell shows and they think they make all of their money on the equipment. And so they try not to discount the equipment, but they only sell the labor at 10 over. Yeah. Right. So they're not making any money on labor, which is higher risk than the equipment. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you're more likely to have to eat labor than you are equipment. Yep. So here they are the highest risk part of their business, um, which on in production lighting world, that could be 20, 25% of the job and corporate AV, that could be 40 or 50% of the job. They're not making any money on that revenue. Wow. Because they thought they made so much money on the rental equipment. Yeah. That they didn't have to make money on the labor. Well, when you sit down with them and you show them, okay, you could be making 10 times more money on the labor and you can afford to make less money on paper on the equipment because they're overlooking the expenses on the equipment. They, they forget that depreciation is an expense. They forget that repair is an expense. Okay. Yeah. They forget that when they subrent something, instead of buying it, they are actually money in cash ahead. They think they're money in cash behind because they think they have to own everything and subrentals are bad. Whereas subrentals prevented them from buying more equipment than they need. So they're they're whole they're completely upside down about how the whole economics of this works, and where it bites them, where it gets them in trouble, and we saw a lot of this, um, probably you know, around 2010 when we were coming out of the recession, when people stopped buying equipment, when asset based companies stopped buying equipment, the depreciation stops, and then all of a sudden the company is making more money and there's a huge tax bill. And the main reason you invest in equipment and you invest every single year is to keep that depreciation number up. So you're building your assets, but you're pushing taxes down the road. Yeah. And so not understanding about how that part of your business works. If you make a mistake and don't buy equipment for two years, one, you're going to have an obsolete inventory. Yep. You're going to have trouble being competitive. And oh, by the way, there's a tax bill hiding around the corner that you weren't expecting that you're not going to have the cash for because you've been making profit based on the wrong model. Okay. So most companies should be twice or three times as profitable as they are getting by with if wow. to run a successful business. Wow. Huh. So then what... I mean, would you say that that is the biggest that that is the biggest challenge to creating a scalable and sustainable business model that a company could then sell is the is that finding where that needing more profit, but also depreciation and kind of finding that where that balances as you grow? 
Yeah, you have to find the right model for the line of business that you're in. Okay, so it's, and that's where it gets really dicey because everybody's business model can be slightly different, but they may look the same on the outside. But okay. on the inside, they can be set up completely differently. Um, so understanding how your company makes money and do you need the assets in order to have value or are the assets pulling your value down? So, so there are, I have clients who, who are overcapitalized on rental inventory. They should own a quarter of the rental inventory that they have, which means that they need to outsource more. And if you show them the numbers, you'd be making a lot more money. You will be worth a lot more. I have other clients who are undercapitalized and they should be buying more equipment to make more money. Okay? Yeah. Some people should have no equipment at all. Some, some companies should have no employees. Yeah. So there's four extremes. And they're all right in the correct situation. Okay. Wow. Um, how, how can I create more profit? I mean, first recognize which type of those four extremes I am. You know, like if I'm a business owner and I'm saying, let's say I'm in the corporate AV and I, we do, all we do is shows where we, we provide audio, video, lighting, the staffing for them. Um, you know, and there are certain pieces of gear that we know we use so often that we just, you absolutely should own them because they make money. That's just what they do. <laughs> I mean, said like a rental guy. Okay. <laughs> and no, and that's okay. I mean, challenge my assumptions. I'm great with that. Yeah. Um, so you, you start with who the customer is, what do customers want from you? What do they value? What will they pay you money for? What will they pay you more money for than they would pay somebody else money for. They're going to pay someone. How do you get them? Why would they hire you? Yeah. Most of the time, it's not because of your rental inventory. Yeah. It's, I mean, almost, it's almost never, it's because of something else that you do. Yeah. Right. And figure out what that is. And then what's the business model that supports that, that makes the most money. Hmm. Owning rental inventory in a production company is a finance decision. It's not a brand decision. It's not a business strategy. It's merely a finance decision. Wow. Customers actually do not care most of the time whether or not you own the equipment that you're delivering to them. If they do care, it's because they do not trust your ability to do something and they're using your ownership of equipment as a metric to say whether you are fully vested in their job. But if they already believe that you're fully vested in the job, they don't care what you own or where you got it from. Got it. So you run a good business. You figure out whether you should own inventory or rent the inventory, whether you should have employees or not. Um, how do I get ready to really put, start marketing my company to actually sell it um, and, and find somebody who's willing to make that investment from a company who is well-run and and can actually be profitable for them. Yeah. Okay. If you are trying to sell your company, which means going out and finding a buyer or hiring a business broker, who's going to find a buyer for you. Yeah. There are certain steps you take and it requires 18 months to two years to get your business in shape to sell that way. 
It's not a decision you wake up and do because it, you have to get your business set up correctly to be attracted to that buyer, got it. which means is you've got to get your debt balanced. You've got to get your cash flow sorted out. You've got to get your long range sales forecast. You've got to be able to show that you've been growing continually for at least two years. There's so many things that a investor who's looking at that business is going to be looking for. And they're not going to take, well, we've had a good six months. Now my company's worth more money. No, they want to see a track record yeah. and they want to see trajectory. Okay, They want to know that you've been doing better or doing well on an upward swing for the past 18 to 24 months. And they want to see another 18 or 24 months out that tells them that it's going to be okay because investors are buying future earnings. Yeah, Nobody cares what you did in the past other than what it tells them about your potential for doing well in the future. Got it. Okay. Um, we, we can't fix your past, but we can start right now. And everything we do going forward, we can do with better intention to be what investors are looking for and what buyers are looking for to make your company worth what you need to get in order to sell it. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Um, so then on the, let's go then, instead of me looking for someone to buy it, let's say I, that I want to retire then. So the other side of that, I'm getting kind of thinking, all right, three, four years down the road, I think I want to retire. I don't want the business to just stop. I stop working and then suddenly my clients all go right. elsewhere. Um, you know, no, no one has ever come to me and said, I'm worried about my legacy after I retire. I mean, that's just, it just doesn't happen. They yeah. say, I plan on retiring in three or four years. I'm hoping my, my kids don't want the company. Maybe my employees do. Maybe I can find a buyer, but I know I need to start thinking about it now. Well, good. That gives us time to do something. But, but the problem is in three or four years might be the exact wrong time to sell. So when, when, when I, somebody says, I'm looking at figuring out what my exit strategy is, I say, tell me what your window is. Okay, what's the earliest you can exit? What's the latest you can exit? And if you don't have a five-year window, we're having the wrong conversation. Got it. Okay, because you can be all ready to sell and everything's perfect and the business is cranking and the equity market won't have anything to do with you because of what's going on over there. So if the economy dips, you may not find a buyer or the economy can be booming and you don't have a company that's sellable. Yeah, Right. So there's almost always a fire sale out there, but who wants to retire on a fire sale? Yeah. So, okay. Then, then for a, from a percentage standpoint, is it really possible to, to take an audiovisual company and, and have it be sellable enough that people say, I want to invest in that? Sure. Absolutely. There is. I mean, if you're making, if you're making 20% EBITDA, somebody's going to buy you. Yeah. That's a, that's a good return on investment. Okay. Uh, if they say well-run company and it's throwing out some tremendous cash, lots of people would look at it. Got it. But selling your business isn't the only exit strategy. Okay. Got it. You can do. You can have employee buyouts. You can have employee earnouts. You can turn it into an ESOP. Um, you know, there's. You could treat it as an annuity, and just have the company continue to pay you while you enjoy your retirement and have a management team that runs it for you. There's yeah. a whole lot of ways to get, you know, to get to the grave. Yeah. After you're done working on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay. That's awesome. Um, lots of ways I hadn't even thought about. So if mm -hmm. I'm then, um, 
let's talk about the 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 little guys the the what I call super freelancers. They own they own a couple of uh, they own a couple of boxes. They own this or that, but they want to actually begin to create something more. Um, yeah. You know, they have the business. They've got the LLC. They've got these little things. What can they do to say, okay, I want to go to the next level and and really start to create something? I, I I get these calls and I love that people reach out to me and ask me for advice when they're starting out like that. Um, and the, so the three pieces of advice that I give freelancers who are trying to start their own business by focusing on something, brokering some labor, buying a few pieces of gear is number one, stop calling yourself a freelancer. Yep. Uh, the word freelancer ever leaves your lips again, you're undermining whatever business you're trying to set up. Uh, number two, present yourself as a business and not as an individual. Yeah. Okay. Start using your business name, start acting like a business instead of a freelancer with some gack. Um, and then three, stop working your own gigs. Okay. Yeah. A business Hard owner who works their own gigs is a bad freelancer. Yeah. No, it's right. I yeah, couldn't agree more. All right. So you know, you've got to get yourself out of your gigs. You've got to price yourself out of your gigs. You know, if you're white, if they're hiring you to get your gear or they're hiring your gear to get you, you're not a business. Yeah. Be a business. Be a business first and yeah. uh, grow from there. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, fantastic, Tom. I think that's a great place to wrap it up, actually. Um, we appreciate everything that you do. You just finished a book that I've actually read. I think I've read through it twice now. Um, it's outstanding. It's called Demand. Um, talk to us real quick about it. Tell us what it, what you're using it for and, and how um, what you would like to see people get out of it. Yes, it's called uh, Demand, How to Build a Smarter Sales Funnel So You Can Turn, turn Down Better Business. You can find it on Amazon. Um, I, you know, I, we actually were going to release this book right when the pandemic started. It was supposed to come out a year ago and we pulled back saying, okay, our industry just changed and we, it just changed forever. You know, as I said in, in my, in my, my webinars, and we wanted to see if this was go what we're going to have to do to retool the book. Actually, we'd shelved it yeah. to be honest. And then by the end of the summer, I realized the biggest problem everybody had right now as they moved into their pandemic pivot, whatever it might be, whether they were a freelancer starting their own business, a company that was going to do streaming now instead of rentals, um, is that they didn't know how to market their business to begin with. And now they were marketing a new business to a new customer. Yeah. We did a little bit of retweaking on the book and changed up the, the story, the parable of Sam. Yeah. Um, in there, we changed that up a little bit to better match the times. And I use it because most of my customers need help with marketing and there's no good place for them to start that isn't too convoluted, too complicated, or too expensive, or too focused on things that are absolutely useless to them, like yeah. SEO. Okay, And they were just getting really, really bad advice. So I wanted to give them the baseline advice, get it down to the the brass tacks, as we say, yeah. if here's what you actually need to know and everything else right now is noise, yep. get this much done. We can, you know, the sequel to this will build from that model. But most people, if they just execute the digital marketing model that's in this book, 
um, it's it's way more than they've ever done before, yep. and it will get them the kind of results that they're looking for. Yeah, it's. I mean, I can tell you from firsthand experience, we're in the midst of revamping everything that we ever did based on the book and what you've done, and it's been. Uh, it, it was so simple to execute. I mean, the the practical tools and tips uh, that that I got out of the book was just huge. I can't honestly thank you enough for finally putting it into words. I mean, I've been listening to marketing experts for three years and never put it all together in a succinct, you know, 130, 40 pages, whatever it was to cleanly define that. So thank you. And for those of you who want to build uh, a better funnel and want to actually create more demand for your products, I highly recommend you grab the book. So Tom, thanks for writing it. It's, it was Thank you. Go, go, to, go see thedemandbook.com. <laughs> awesome. Thedemandbook.com. And lastly, where can people, uh, where can people get over, uh, kind of get in touch with you, your blog, your information, your webinars? Where's the best place? My website's trstimson.com. If you'll just sign up for the newsletter or register for a webinar, we'll keep you in the loop. And um, I share share valuable stuff every week. You do, 100%. Well, Tom, I can't thank you enough for all the value that you bring to to the industry. Um, I mean, it's been so good and needed through this whole time period. So thank you. Appreciate your time today, uh, your expertise does not go unnoticed. I know a lot of people really appreciate it and my friends talk about it regularly. So it's awesome. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for the kind words. No problem. Thanks, Tom. I hope you have a great day. Take care. All right. Cheers, guys. Take it easy. Your next gig is right around the corner. I'm excited for how we are going to be able to continue going forward each and every day to get better and better for the next gig and the one after that. At Gig Ready, our goal is to help you be better than you are today, to be more prepared and a better asset to your customers and your clients each and every day going forward. Value for value is how we operate. That means if you get value out of what we're doing, we would love if you would return some of that value to us. Tell your friends, leave a review on iTunes or another podcast app. Let us know what you think. If you want to hear something new, something different, share it with us. GigReady at GigRent.com. Send us an email. Tell us what you want to hear, how you want to hear it, and exactly what you need so that we can deliver the best value to you each and every day.